Genesis chapter 3. In your own Bible or in the church Bible there, it's good to have a Bible open to see what it is God has to say to us this day. I suppose it's my increasing age that gets showing in so many ways, but I, I would tell you that I like some of these really old black and white movies that are now rebroadcast many years later. Certain channel on television that I get on cable specializes in the old black and white movies so full of uh, drama. One of the common features, I think most of you will identify with this, anyone under, well, whatever age uh, that knows what I'm talking about. One of the genres that the movie producers would use in that day was an everyday common event, I suppose, in the selling of newspapers. And when the director of the movie wanted to get to the next major part of the story or the scene, suddenly the cameras would flash out onto the busy streets, maybe of New York City. And there'd be this this street urchin, this 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 boy who whose job it was to hold the papers in his hand to sell as many as he could. And what did he say? Extra, extra, extra read all about it. And then you'd hear the uh, the headline. I had this year a bit of a of a taste of that. It, it reminded me of that when I came again to what is my favorite portion of the Gospels when it comes to the Christmas narrative. I just love the Gospel of Luke. And I can almost see the first verses uh, jumping out like an extra, extra, read all about it. Here it is. Suddenly. There appeared a heavenly host of angels praising God and saying, well, they didn't say extra, extra, but it's sort of like that. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men of good will. And surely the headlines that begin the whole New Testament are some of the greatest words ever written. The Holy Spirit himself serves you know, as the publisher of the gospel good news. Christ is come. The Savior is born. Now, in this month of Christmas 2012, we have borrowed in recent weeks the rich biblical phrases of truth from the remarkable pen of Charles Wesley, writing in the 1700s. He gave to the world this timeless carol. Hark, the herald angels sing. At the beginning of this sermon series, I made a few brief biographical references to Wesley himself, saying that he is the author of almost 9,000 hymns. It has been recorded that he averaged at least 10 poetic Lines a day for 50 years. He'd have to do that to uh, author that many of our hymns. And of course, his theme was always the glories of Christ Jesus, our Savior. For Wesley, you know, there never were really enough words in the language of mortal men to fully express the love that this man had for the Savior. He would say that he was not exaggerating one iota 
when he penned, for example, these words. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. This was the burning passion of this man of God who's filled our church hymnals with so many wonderful hymns, which we ourselves, these many years later, continue to worship the Lord. There's another interesting fact from the history of the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that sometimes goes unnoticed. And that is the music. Uh, The music to which we sing the lyrics written by Wesley was arranged by a William H. Cummings. What he arranged was an original score by Felix Mendelssohn. In the 1840s, the German composer performed a cantata which commemorated the 400th anniversary of Johann Gutenberg's invention, which was what? The printing press. Now, how providential, in my thinking, is the fact that these giants of history would somehow converge to yield a Christmas carol to the glory of God. That somewhere in the mid-1400s, a contemporary of Martin Luther, Johann Gutenberg gave the world the printing press. I saw parts of it when I was in Germany. And from it came the first published book ever. And beloved, the first published book Ever on the Gutenberg Press is, of course, the famed Gutenberg Bible. I remember walking into the most incredible safe uh, I had ever been in. The doors uh, swung open for our uh, advantage. Uh, steel, I don't know how many layers of it. I don't know what the door alone must have weighed. It was a massive thing to protect the preciousness of the first Bible ever produced on the printing press. I went inside that vault and I wanted to stay, but they made me leave before too long and they locked it away safely again. Extra, extra, read all about it. And the news is free to all who believe. And we looked at the various phrases of that magnificent hymn by Wesley. And then we searched the scriptures and discovered the reason it was okay to kind of based sermons on a hymn was because the hymn itself is just so full of scripture. The first Sunday that we looked at it was the theme, God and sinners reconciled. And we we considered the doctrine of reconciliation from the scriptures. The next line in the next Lord's Day that we were together, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, pointing, of course, to the mystery of Christmas In the incarnation of God. And then as we saw last Lord's Day, Wesley's phrase, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. It's as though every line of the hymn is taking us a bit deeper into the true wonders of Christmas, that he would lay aside his eternal glory. 
become veiled in flesh so that he could, in fact, bleed as a human being. God in flesh, born that man no more may die. Well, here we are, and we are just hours away now from a New Year's Day in the year of our Lord, 2013. And in one of the seven original verses that Wesley gave us, and it's not found in many hymnals, including our own, sadly, you would find these words, I could say, in the better hymnals. It would be extremely rare to find all seven verses of Wesley's in any modern hymnal, by the way. But I'm so glad we have our hands on the history. This is what this next verse and becomes a launching pad for what we'll study in the scriptures today. He wrote, come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. And then these words. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I don't want to think that most hymn editors have taken that verse away because they think that the modern American audience or congregation just wouldn't get such talk at Christmas. Serpents' heads being crushed. Adam, what's he got to do with the Christmas story? Uh, what's this all about anyway? This fourth stanza of Wesley's hymn is theologically deep. I suppose there are not many who would immediately connect the book of Genesis, where I've asked you to turn today, with the Christmas season. But Wesley knew that Christmas, in one sense, was actually already anticipated in the first pages of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, Let me provide, uh, you don't have to write this down, but you'll sort of see where we're going in these next moments together. A simple uh, outline that I'll seek to stick with. I must first apologize, I suppose, to Charles Dickens and his famed Three Ghosts of Christmas. Don't expect a Christmas series of sermons anytime soon on that, although it is great literature. Uh, But with apologies to him, here's my points. Number one, the spirit... Not the ghost, but the spirit of Christmas past. And that's why I've had you come back to the book of Genesis. And then the spirit of Christmas present. That is the one that you and I have just celebrated days ago. And then we'll wrap up our thoughts together looking at the spirit of Christmas future, which, of course, is a view to the significance of the second and final advent of Christ. We've done a little singing this morning concerning the second coming of Christ. The question were to be asked, where is the Christmas story to be found? The more exact and correct answer, as we will see, is this. The Christmas story begins 
between the first pages of Genesis, the very beginning of your Bible, all the way to the last pages of the book of Revelation. All the Bible is the unfolding narrative of the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. For us believers, maybe this is good news for most of us, Christmas isn't over. It continues with its significance all the way till the point where we see him come again to earth. Well, where is the Christmas story uh, in the book of Genesis, you say? What I refer to as the spirit of Christmas past. Wesley refers to it as the woman's conquering seed, right? Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. This is the promise of Christmas past. It's found here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I'd like us to read those together. Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. I'll read. You follow along. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, done what? Deceive the woman who in turn, with the help of his wife, uh, Adam, Eve as a couple, disobey the Lord's command. You know the story. And uh, because of this, God says, cursed are you more than all cattle to the serpent. He says this. And more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I was thinking living here in Florida, even roaches, which I thoroughly detest, at least they have legs. The serpent truly, in a very real, even scientific sense, is the lowest. It's part of the curse upon whatever kind of creature form he took in the early days of creation. We don't know. But here's the promise. Verse 15. I will put enmity. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be violence. We're talking about enemies. Enmity. And it'll be between you, serpent, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. In the next phrase, we get to learn it'll be a boy child. He shall bruise you. Really, the Hebrew there is he will crush you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. This is the beginning of the gospel. Good news concerning Our Lord Jesus Christ. Surely it is in seed form. As much as that hour in history, when the Holy Spirit in some miraculous way descended upon the Virgin Mary, so that what would be conceived in her, not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit, would begin to take shape as embryo gospel, if you will, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. We've come a long way in the story, I will admit, 
from Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, to the first accounts of the gospel writers in the New Testament. But one simply cannot miss the link. Here, as early as Genesis, if you will, as early as man's disobedience, enter the gospel promise about the seed of the woman. It is a message of hope. It is promise. There's plenty of scripture here and evidence, even in Genesis, to tell us that Adam and Eve absolutely believed this. They were broken because of their disobedience. Life would now be hard. Her pain would be increased in childbirth. Adam's got to go out to work every day, this time by the sweat of his brow. They'll even have to leave the temporary paradise, be in a world of brokenness and sin where Satan, in fact, is one of the princes in that forsaken kingdom. But here's the gospel in seed form. The gospel is first preached to our first parents in the very midst of their sin and failure. Just like the gospel is still preached today in the very midst of our sin and our failure. Now, how do I know that I will greet my first parents in heaven? I definitely know this concerning Eve, and it comes in the next chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis. Eve believed this promise. It's my way of saying she'll be in heaven. I want you to look at her confession of faith. Salvation, whether it comes in the Old Testament to a sinner or whether it comes to a a New Testament uh, person living in, in, in our last days, it all comes the same way. It's by faith. It's by the promise of God. Look with me at verse 1 of Genesis 4. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now, we know a little bit about Cain, don't we? We know a little bit about his brother, Abel. But this is what she said on the day that Cain was born. She said, here it is, I have gotten... A man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, folks, if you have a really good English version of the Bible in this portion of Scripture, you should find uh, some italics, like in the words, the help of. Uh, it is in italics in my Bible. What, what that's telling us is that the English translators are having a bit of difficulty getting into a reasonable sentence what it is that Eve has actually said that shows up clearly with no problem at all in the Hebrew uh, of the very uh, beginning of the writing of the Bible, which, of course, is in Hebrew. The italics there, or even if your Bible doesn't have it, but the English that goes something like, I have gotten a man-child, and they write, with the help of, is not in the Hebrew original, is not in the Hebrew text. But what is there is truly a wonderful thing to behold. The Hebrew word is a verb, kana, which means to get. What Eve is really exclaiming on the birth of this child is, I've gotten him. She's saying, here he is. Eth Kwanah, Eth Yehovah, she's saying, 
I have gotten the one that God promised. The seed of this woman, Eve would say, has brought forth. And the promise we know, she must have turned to her husband and said, and the promise we know is that this seed of the woman, my seed, our seed, will be the instrument of God's overcoming grace for our sin. I have brought forth a man, even the deliverer, or as we would more literally interpret the Hebrew, the Lord's help. Or we would say with enlightened minds and a whole New Testament to instruct us, we have now received the salvation of the Lord. This is exactly what Adam and Eve were rejoicing over. Now, we look back and we say, oh my goodness, how tragic for them, at least for the moment, to discover before too long that this Cain simply cannot be, does not qualify as a deliverer, as the Lord's salvation. We say, why? Well, it is the first capital crime recorded in the earliest of the chapters in Genesis. You know that Cain sheds the blood, kills his own brother Abel. So it cannot be Cain, and yet that faith, that trust in the promise becomes nevertheless the foundation for their belief in God's plan and his purpose in salvation. Adam and Eve will be in heaven. But I'll tell you who else is going to be in heaven is Adam and Eve's, and I've never quite figured this out. It wouldn't be accurate if I tried. But their great, 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 great granddaughter by the name of Mary. Upon the birth of her first child, will there be yet another exclamation? Her great, 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 great grandmother said, I've gotten him. The one the Lord has promised. But it'll be Mary who puts it this way. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard to the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who reverence him, toward those who fear him, toward those who will trust in the promise. The seed of the woman is none other than the virgin giving birth to the Savior. So this, then, is the spirit of Christmas past, promised long ago. Christ Jesus, in the fullness of time, came into the world to do what? The scripture says, to destroy the works of the devil. That old serpent, the devil had his moment. He still has some good days, by the way. He enjoys a good day or two in my life on occasion. And all the while, Christ, as he hung bruised upon the cross, was actually striking 
the ultimate fatal blow in crushing this serpent's head. And we look forward to the fullest expression of that when Jesus comes again. Calvary covers it all. Calvary conquered and provided for us our salvation. The serpent one day will suffer the end of that fatal blow made on the cross. The spirit of Christmas present. What is that? It is that truth. Christ has come. And the question that remains is, and I ask you, I ask each and every one of you. Let me see if I can see you all. The issue is, what will you do with Jesus? You and I were born into this world no longer bearing fully the image of God as Adam did. It's been very marred. In fact, we come into the world conceived in sin, not as by nature children of God, but rather the offspring of what Wesley referred to, and so does the Bible, as the first Adam, the fallen Adam. We inherit the sinful nature of our first parents. Jesus would dare to tell some of the most religious people of his day that they were not so much children of Abraham as they thought, but are of their father, the devil. What an indictment is that? Every man, woman, boy and girl needs to come to grips with the spirit of Christmas present that in this present hour, here's how the Bible puts it today. The sun rose for you another day. You need to know today is the day of salvation. Everything needed has been provided. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen again. Christ has ascended to the Father. And Jesus, this same Christ, is coming Again, where did Wesley get this this theology of the two Adams, a second Adam from above? Well, from the scriptures, we've said that all along. Uh, listen, if you would, to these two verses, first Corinthians 15, 55 and 56. Here's what the Bible says. Since by a man, that is the first Adam, came death by a man, the second Adam came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, that first one, all die, so also in Christ, all those in him shall be made alive. The apostle applies this to the very end of our days. He says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, I would say very specifically because of its context in 1 Corinthians 15, our risen, the one who conquered death, our Lord and King. Do you know what the Bible's last words are, at least in the Old Testament, concerning our first parent, the progenitor of the human race, Adam? I wonder if you know what the last words the Bible records concerning Adam way back there in Genesis. I'll give you the phrase. You ready? And he died. He died. 
So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. We're told he had many sons and many daughters and he died. Uh, There is no record of him being raised from the dead, which distinguishes forever the first Adam from the second. The second Adam, we read as we read the record of the crucifixion, and he committed into his father's hands his spirit. I think the old King James says he gave up the ghost. He breathed his last and he died. But oh, the difference. Three days later, as you know, he comes out of the tomb. So finally this morning, let me say this is where we see the spirit of Christmas future. There is this next advent of Christ to come. Not a lowly manger stall, but a glorious new Jerusalem. Not a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, but a conquering bridegroom, the captain of all the armies of heaven coming on white stallion. Christmas, past, present and future. But what I want you to understand, which, of course, I think you do, but we rejoice in it this morning. Past, present and future. All wrapped up in him who is the alpha, the beginning and the omega. So John, who also gave us one of the Gospels, also gives us tremendous revelations. I've taken you this morning from Genesis, and now I'll lead you in the book of Revelation. John the Revelator writes, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth are passed away. It's sort of like a first Adam and a last Adam. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am the great I am. You remember the story began in the Old Testament. The great I am. And he says, I am making all things new. I don't know if it'll be in 2013, but I know this is going to happen. There's coming a day when all things will be made new. That portion in Revelation ends with sort of like saying, because he said it, the next words are, it is done. It's as good as done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. I know I'm a little past time. Why would we change things on the last Sunday of an old year? But would you stand together with me? I want to give you a gift. Not for me to give, but from God's word. To carry with you into the opening hours of a new year. If you're anything like me, you sort of like these times on the calendar when we really do get a sense of a new beginning. 
Now, personally, I've given up on making resolutions a long time ago because I make the same ones every year. Sometimes I get as far as March or April. But I'll tell you what really counts for us, folks, as you and I together approach a new year. And that is that God has made certain resolutions. And he keeps all of his. And almost all of them have to do with those who have personally put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I speak to you on his behalf. I want you to hear what he says to you on the threshold of a fresh new year. He speaks and would say, before I created the heavens and earth, I was. When the earth and everything in it passes away, I will be. I hold the universe together from the smallest atom to the greatest galaxy. It all is in my hands. The sun is hidden in my shadow. I have set the earth on its foundations and I rest my feet upon it. I stir the waters of the oceans and my fingers and shape the mountains with my breath. He says, I am entirely holy and completely other. There are none before me and none like me who can question what I have done or what I will do. My kingdom is eternal and shall exist forevermore. I am the ruler over the kings of the earth. I am the prince of peace. I am the king of kings. I am the righteous one. I am the king of the Jews. I am the king of glory. I am the king of the ages. I am the king of heaven. I am the Lord of hosts. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am Jehovah Jireh, I will provide. I am Jehovah Rapha, I will heal. I am Jehovah Makedesh, I will sanctify. I am Jehovah Rohi, I am your shepherd. I am the Most High God. Now, this is better than lunch, so give me another minute. I am your deliverer, your redeemer, your savior. I am your shield and your strength and your defender. I am the eternal and everlasting God. I am the Alpha and Omega. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Besides me there is no God. Angels and heavenly beings worship me upon my throne, and I will not give my glory to another. I am a jealous God and a consuming fire. I am the commander of all the armies of heaven, and before me kingdoms crumble and rulers kneel. I am your harbor in the tempest. I am safety for the tested and tried. I have come to set the captives free, to strengthen the weak, to heal the lame, to cause the blind to see. I've come to give you life and breath to breathe. I've come that you might know me. I've come that you might know my limitless love and endless goodness, my measureless mercy and my sovereign grace. My forgiveness knows no boundaries and my acceptance sees no imperfections in me. You are made clean and through me you are sanctified. I am indescribable, incomprehensible, irresistible and invincible. The heavens cannot contain my glory. Death cannot consume me. Life cannot outlast me. All knees will bow before me and that my name everywhere, every tongue will confess. I am the great I am. And brothers and sisters, he says, I am your great and good shepherd. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of the rest of your life. 
and you will dwell in my house forever.